Hello, everybody. Uh, I just wanted to say one more time that next week is a special week, excuse me, because um, we have a all-congregational vote. And so we're asking uh, everybody to come. Registration is from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., and our service will start at 11 a.m. And if you're not sure if you're in the roster or our role, uh, you can please talk to Amy or any one of our deacons, and then we'll make sure that uh, you have, um, you're in the role, or if we can make sure if you're there or not. If you do come at 9, um, which we're asking everybody to do, we'll have breakfast. And if you have small children, we'll also have uh, some child care for you. So please do come, and we thank you, I thank you in advance for doing this. I know it's a inconvenience to many and hopefully this will be our last vote uh, if we have one more then yeah, I don't know, I don't know what to say. Uh, we won't we won't um, we're continuing on with uh, with Genesis and you know these days it's been crazy in the news um, my news feed not in not in Facebook but I have this little news app and it shows you all the top stories of today of the day it's just been going nuts right and so I think the top story isn't about our presidential candidates uh, about the audio tape recording or the emails that are out uh, I don't I don't you know as bad as Hurricane Matthew was I don't even know if that's really the top story uh, I think it's this one do you have a picture of that up there yeah, and so this is, this is uh, not out there in the, the mainstream news. And some of us, only some of us know about this, but it's about dihydrogen monoxide. And, it's, and it's, a, it's a chemical that's being dumped constantly by the thousands and millions of gallons into our water supply, into the rivers. Um, I believe it's in most of our homes. And uh, if you go to dhmo.org, which is stands for dihydrogen monoxide. This is what it says on the website. DHMO is a colorless and odorless chemical compound, also referred to by some as dihydrogen oxide or hydrogen hydroxide, hydronium hydroxide, or simply hydric acid. Its basis is the highly reactive hydroxyl radical, a species shown to mutate DNA, denature proteins, disrupt cell membranes, and chemically alter critical neurotransmitters. The atomic components of DHMO are found in a number of caustic, explosive, poisonous compounds such as sulfuric acid, nitroglycerin, and ethyl alcohol. The CDC, the FDA, people have been asking constantly for them to monitor this, to regulate this, but they are refusing to do so, even though that they know so many deaths are caused by DHMO. Oh, you could take that off the screen. And, uh, and I, I, I think that, that should probably be the, the top news of the day, and then we should be aware that this is going on, that, you know, you might have this running through your faucet in your homes, your children might be affected. Uh, and so if you go to dhmo.org, there's more information about this. And I'll stop there because <clears throat> DHMO or dihydrogen monoxide is the same as saying di is two, hydrogen 
mono is one, so it's the same thing as saying H2O. And so there's this whole thing on the internet where they're saying dihydrogen monoxide is terrible, it's in pesticides, insecticides, but actually it's just another name for water. And so when you saw that meme, can we put that meme right, right back up there again? And then this is, people, get, people honestly get scared. They're thinking, oh my goodness, dihydrogen monoxide, it's, it's in our water supply. We have to do something about it. Of course, you were all educated here, so you knew exactly what I was talking about. He's like, yeah, obviously that's water. Dihydrogen, okay, anyway, you could take that off. Um, and so this is, this, this is a meme or this is kind of a thing that's been going around and some people who aren't aware Okay, I got some of you, but don't, don't, show it, don't show it in your faces. Just be like, yeah, I, I knew dihydrogen too. I get it, H2O, okay. But a lot of us, we, we think a certain way, right? And then we see certain things, and we automatically assume, like, oh, my goodness, this is what it's about. And yet, and then we could continue to perpetuate this, but as you continue to perpetuate, let's say you, you actually go on to dhmo.org, you'll see all these things, all these things, like people are drowning from this stuff, you know. It's in our tap and we're drinking this. It, it's, it's in all these poisons. It's in all these things. And it's everywhere. We have to regulate it. And people are like, yeah, and they write letters to the government. Of course, it's a hoax and um, people are getting a big kick out of it, which is terrible. But I wanted to tell you that I just wanted to inform you that this is a hoax, so don't fall for it. Please don't put it on your Facebook. Uh, but if you do, I will like. I will like it. <laughs> I will like it on your Facebook. <laughs> Maybe I'll put a smiley face. But um, <clears throat> you, you come to a classic story like this, and you come to a classic story like uh, this test. God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And automatically people think they know what this is about. They, they, and then we have reactions. And I've heard reactions, ever since I was younger, I've heard reactions, if God ever asked me to give up my kid, I'm gonna say to God, I'm sorry God, you can have it all, but you can't have my kid, that's just too much to ask. <laughs> and then that's exactly like believing DHMO is poisonous for you and you're going to die. Uh, there's no reason for God to ask you to give up your kid. Um, you're not Abraham, first of all. You haven't done anything really that great. I'm sorry. Seriously, but Abraham was like the father of the faith. And, you know, not to say anything bad, but, you know, we grew up working at McDonald's, things like that. And there's a huge difference. And we have to really look at this story to see what it really means. And if you want to start by um, looking, then I think we should start by looking at that first sentence. And that first sentence is the first point, and that's the word test. Abraham didn't know, but we know as we start reading it. God said, I'm going to test Abraham. And so the three points I have today is the test, the teaching, the reason, the test, the teaching, the reason, and the narrative shows us in advance what Abraham doesn't know. This is a test. We know that God is a God that does not require child sacrifice. We know that. But remember that Abraham came from a background of moon worship. And yes, child sacrifice was done. And so this is a test. In the Hebrew word test, which is nisa, 
doesn't mean enticed to do wrong. So we can't confuse testing with temptation. It doesn't mean to do wrong. It means with a personal object, it means to test to see if the other object or the other person is worthy. To test to see if the other is worthy. That's what Nisa means. And it's only occurred one other time in the Bible. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 39. You don't have to look it up. I'll just tell you. It's when David was going to go out to fight Goliath. And King Saul said, take on my armor. David puts on the armor and he says, I can't go in this armor because I have not tested it. I didn't try it out. That's the same word, and it's used only one other time in Genesis chapter 22, 1, Nisa. And so this is the word test. So Ronald Youngblood says it well when he says Satan tempts to destroy us, like in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, when it says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Satan tempts to destroy us, but God tests us to strengthen us. Exodus chapter 20, 20. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Exodus 20, 20. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. So this test is for Abraham. And it's not so that he would fall, but it's so that he can be strengthened. And so this is the narrative that 22 starts with. And this is what we must understand. So this is how we start in this passage, and this is how we should start here. The test is for his only son. His only son, And this is just a confirmation that the expulsion of Ishmael was confirmed that the only son, meaning Isaac, is detrimental to the well-being of your family line, the well-being of you. In many ways, the firstborn son, the person that was going to take everything that you have was bigger than your life. So... It isn't about why couldn't Abraham, you know, if someone says, why can't you just take my life, don't take my son's life. It's because the son's life was worth more than his life or her life. The child's life was worth more than the parent's life. So this test was about more than just his own life. It was about everything. When he tells the servants to stay behind, The walk to the place of sacrifice must have felt like an eternity. Imagine, imagine something worth more than even your own body, even your own self. You have to sacrifice it. And you have to make that walk. I was talking with Peter who uh, was on the train. I didn't tell him I would would say this, but... um, you're a good-looking man. That's how, that's how I'll offset, offset that. But, you know, he, he said in his experience that when the train crashed in the Hoboken station, the lights were off for like two, three minutes. And I said, it must have felt like a long time. And he said, yes, the two, three minutes that we were there in the darkness, it felt like an eternity. Your life flashes before your eyes. 
And when you go into a place where there is intense pain, intense fear, intense insecurity, every single second feels like an eternity. And this is what is being shown here. When Abraham told his servants to stay behind because he needs to climb up to the mountain, the place of, uh, the place of sacrifice, we need to go there. Each step must have been agonizing. You know, Isaac could speak at this point. He's not a little baby. So this baby sacrifice thing isn't even really relevant because Isaac can actually speak. In fact, he is strong enough to carry the wood for the fire. And he goes over and you see that there is a deep connected relationship between the father and son where he says, Father, and then Abraham turns back to his son and says, yes, my son. And he asks the question because he knows there's fire and there's wood. But where's the sacrifice? And we can only imagine all the energy that he must have had, must have taken for him to reply with the response that he did, saying that God would provide the sacrifice. This test is no mere test where you can just simply answer, oh God, if you asked this for me, I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to do this kind of thing. Or, or even the other way around. God, if you ask me, I can do that. I can just sacrifice my kid. <clears throat> this test was very deep. And it was excruciating. It was painful. And then when... Abraham binds Isaac. Isaac is bound. I don't know. If anybody has a 10 to 13 year old right now, try to bind that person and say, I'm going to put you on a fire or something like that. I don't know how easily that would go around. And plus, Abraham must have been at least 110. But Isaac was bound. And then he took up the knife to strike his son. And that's when God sends his angel to stop him and says, Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son, your son, your only son from me. And this is what we've read today. Now I know. Does that mean God didn't know before? That God doesn't have the foreknowledge He's not omniscient. And we know from the rest of the Bible that's not true. In fact, he does know. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're about to do. And we even sang it before. But there's other, other songs that we, we sing, like he knows our name. He knows everything that's going on. He knows. But why does he say now I know? Now I know means that experiencing and foreknowledge are two different things. I can tell you right now that if you continue to follow God, for those that are married, God will bless your family. For those that are single and you believe that your call is to be married, God will send you a suitor. I can tell you that. You can hold on to that promise. I can tell you that if you are in school right now, that God will give you a good job as long as you continue to try 
and you will glorify him in that job. I can tell you that. But it's different. It's different when you actually live it. You go through it and you struggle. You send out those thousands and thousands of resumes. You go through those hundreds of interviews. You finally go to one or two and you get picked and finally you get that job. You go through the struggle like Mike and Christine of trying to have a child and you finally have that child. You go through the struggle of being single for so long and finally God sends you a suitable suitor. That is a, there is a difference between foreknowledge and actually experiencing. And this, this is what we have to understand. God wants us to go through these things so that we can experience it. Because it is completely different from just saying, I know, I know, I know. In fact, the, the way we say, I know, we don't know. We don't know. And, I, and I, share, I share this often, but I would always hear about how my mom would tell me, why don't you clean your room? Or why don't you study a bit more? Why don't you eat less potato chips? You're getting pretty fat. And I would say, I know, Mom. And I would eat potato chips. And then she would say, you don't know because you keep on eating potato chips. You don't know. There is a huge difference that we have to see that for knowing something is different, completely different than experiencing it. And Abraham and God are experiencing something here. I can tell you, once again, that you will be married, but until someone actually comes up to you, gets down on bended knee and proposes to you, whips out that ring, you don't know. You don't know. But once you experience it, that experience is forever. Until you read the Bible and ask God to open your eyes, you don't know. don't know point number two the teaching so what do you learn from all this well we learn very importantly that the miracle is not God and I've said this before but Abraham knew he wasn't worthy just look at the few uh, chapters and paragraphs before he messes up he goes to places and he goes, oh, that's not my wife, that's my sister. He always looks out for himself first when he's supposed to be taking out for his family. So when God says, make the sacrifice, he knew, actually, I don't deserve Isaac. I don't deserve all this that God has given me. And when God asks for it back, he actually deserves it back. But what happens is many times we will see a miracle and we will take that Instead of God, we will put that in the place of God. We will put that on a higher pedestal than who God is. God, give me a job. And you get that job. And that job is more important to you than God. God, give me a suitor, a husband, or a wife. And that person has become everything. And then even in marriage, you look at your children. And children become everything. The miracle is not God. The miracle is the miracle. God is God. They are two completely different things. And we can't confuse the two. No matter how great the miracle is, it is not God. No matter how great the manifestation is, no matter how amazing it is, even if God had washed over this place, 
And there is just amazing things happening, like people becoming healed, people becoming like, oh my goodness, I couldn't use my wrist before, I had carpal tunnel. I don't know what we kind of go through in, 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 uh, in our congregation. But maybe some of us have some kind of ailment, and then we just stand up and be like, look at this, no carpal tunnel, right? And um, even if that were the case, that isn't God. That's a miracle. But that's not God. <coughs> So what do we learn from all this is that true worship then is obedience. True worship is obedience. A lot of us have continued to learn a lot from Genesis. Even on the first 20 chapters, there's so much to learn. And we continue to learn, continue to learn. And very graciously, many of you have come up to me in many points of our Genesis series and said, Wow, I didn't know that about Genesis. It really blew me away. Thank you for that insight. Thank you for the message. And that's great. And I'm so happy that you shared it with me. I'm so humbled that I can share that with you. But here's the point. True worship, which insight and knowledge should lead to, isn't just singing. Isn't just coming out on Sunday. It is obedience. I can tell you all all the time about what biblical marriage purports, what it really does, and how it really helps the human soul. But if you don't live it, if you don't obey it, that's not true worship. Why don't we obey? Because we do not believe. We can't say we are a people of faith if we don't obey. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, It is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. But Abraham reasoned this way. He reasoned that God could raise Isaac from the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he could raise the dead, right? So in a matter of speaking, he could raise Isaac from the dead. He had that kind of faith. That even though God asks for my son, and he very well deserves it, even though I give it, I know the promises God has for me, so I think he can raise people from the dead. That's not outside of God's boundaries, outside of God's power. So he can raise Isaac from the dead. So I'll do this as difficult as it is. I'll go to my final point. The final point is the reason. He tests us to show us that we can trust him. In Psalm 66, verse 10, it says, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, do you do not now see him, 
you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, without the testing, we're just metals. We're just rock. But when you undergo intense heat and intense pressure, what comes out is a precious stone. What comes out are precious metals. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, it says, I will put the stirred into the fire and refine them as one refined silver, test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people. They, they will say the Lord is my God. The refining and testing is so that we really come out precious and beautiful the way we were meant to be, but without the testing, it's not possible. How do we know this for sure? How do we know that if we go through a testing, that this will actually happen? Haven't we seen people and it's just a tragic end? How do we know for sure? Jesus went through the ultimate test for us. The lamb caught in the thicket to replace Isaac was a sign that someone else will come and take Isaac's place. The lamb was a temporary solution. But Jesus is the ultimate solution. Jesus went through the walk we call the Via Della Rosa, and it must have been painful. Every step he took, people were hurling insults. He knew he had to die the most humiliating death ever to have been contrived by the human mind, the cross. But he walked that walk. He took the cross on to replace Isaac, to replace us. This is why we know for sure, because in the Bible it says Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. That means he is there to show us that this is going to happen. That even if we are broken, we will never be defeated. Even if we are down, we are not out. Even if we are killed, it is only temporary because God has a great plan and that is to refine us, to hone us in the fire so that we could come out precious and beautiful in his sight. And if you want to have faith you pray that prayer, God, I need your strength to complete the task in front of me. What is in front of me is so difficult. I need to admit that I cannot do this on my own. And in fact, you knew that. That's why you sent your son, Jesus. You knew that every time a test would come, I would fall if I was by myself. But I am not alone. The promise that I have is that you are with me and that I will never succumb fully to eternal death. 
I will always have a hope, no matter what happens in the outside world, no matter what my circumstance is, I have faith in Jesus. That is what we can confess as Christians. That is why the test is there for our good. That is why Abraham is showing us here that the ultimate, the ultimate lamb for the sacrifice, the ultimate lamb for the offering wasn't Isaac. It was Jesus because he knew we couldn't do it. I know that many of us are going through so many trials, and I joked about it before, but I am serious when I say that some of us are going through heavy trials, heavy testing. But let me assure you of this. The Bible is supporting us in this manner, that no matter how heavy the trial, you will not be defeated. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how impossible tomorrow seems, God is the God who will pick you up and you will turn out precious, beautiful, amazing. Because that is why he is testing you. Not to destroy you, but to strengthen you. And with that hope, you can hold on to that promise and get up the next day. And fight that good fight. Run that race God has for you. But in the meantime, I would like you to pray in this manner. If this is the struggle that you are going through, it's the same when Jesus said, if you have faith, anything is possible. And he said to Jesus, then help my unbelief. Give me faith, God. And that should be our prayer. Give me faith so that I can believe that you are with me. Because I am in your hands, no one can pry that hand open. And take me away from you. Let's pray.